That's your t-shirt now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. We are on in five, four, three. That's what I'm talking about. That was enthusiastic. Listen, now, now we're fired up. Like, and I love some backwards laughing. I'm a little bit uh, distracted. What organ is over here? That's your uh, liver. It hurts. Hmm. <laughs> Liver's over there. Somewhere. <laughs> really, really special guest in the house today. Again, this is your second time. It is. That means so you know, I'm less special. No, the first ones are always the bio, you know? Yeah, okay. We have to introduce you, get to know you, things right. like that. Now, the, the next one was where it gets fun, spicy, you know. Yeah. We get heated. I start yelling. Jericho starts cursing. Someone pees on something. You never know what's going to happen. It's easy to get here. It's hard to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Stu Scheller, welcome. Welcome in. Nice, yes. Where's our prop, though? Do you have our prop? No. I don't even, I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I, it's in the other room. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I'm already, I'm, I'm already, I'm already failing. That one in. <laughs> hey, <it> digitally, please. <laughs> yeah, fail I'm holding it. Yeah. Oh no, we'll get it. We'll get it. You, yeah, you keep going. I'm going to get it. <laughs> it's in my book bag. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, we met up last night, and I didn't even uh, realize. I don't know who you're. Your marketing team is if they'll listen to this, but I didn't even realize that your book had come out. Yeah. Yeah. So top 10. Uh, looking forward to picking Wall Street it up. Journal, USA Today. It's doing well. Yeah. We're all, uh, I mean, this is usually where, what we say at the end, but we're kind of throwing protocol out the windows. Yeah. JT goes and gets the book, but <laughs> no, yeah, it's good. You know, there it is. Look at it. This is the book. This is the book. I'm going to pull it down. Yeah. Crisis of Command. It's a fucking rad title. Nice. I love the cover, by the way. Yeah. Appreciate you. Ah, here we go. There, yeah, there it is. That's the book. The like log line under the title is really good. Like it's fucking awesome. Someone <laughs> needs to talk about that. Like well, I was talking about it a lot last year around this time, as as you were. Obviously, I think yeah. a lot of us were um, just talking about you know how complicit our generals have become in their how. F mm, What's what's the right word? Incestuous the relationships have become between generals and politicians, and uh, that used to be not the case. Generals did things for the success of the mission. Now they're, in my opinion, yeah. So I don't know if it's incestuous as much as they just lack courage, and so they over their career they develop the skill of pleasing their boss. Because in the military, it's all about a subjective evaluation. So if I, as a commander, have five subordinates, I rank them one through five. And so like JT might be the better infantry officer, but if he's always talking back in meetings and you're always on time and you're always telling me like how great I am, when I go to rank you one through five, you might be one and you might be two. And so guys over a 40 year career figure out that they just need to please their boss. So rather than incestuous, I think we just have senior leaders that can't protect the values of the institution in critical moments. And they just say, yes, you get General Milley talking about climate control, and all these different things that have nothing to do with warfighting capability, but he does that because it's important to his boss. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the ending of my career was, as, as it is for most people who have kept their moral compass throughout their career, <laughs> like the ending is usually a bitter one that is not 
man, I'm really gr- glad about all the things I did. It's time for me to hang it up because I'm just tired. No, it's usually like, I can't fucking support the program anymore. Exactly. And like for me, mil- that's what it was. The military does a good job of reverse attrition, like getting pushing the really good people out because they give up. Yeah. Uh, they, because they realize that the mechanism is is something they can't defeat and that nobody is truly actually focused on efficiency and product on the out on the outside of it. Like, and it's like, when you get to that point, you know, I had, I, I reached that at about my 10 year mark as an instructor, when I realized this wasn't about prepping these young kids for war, this was about checking a box. And that's, I had brought that up again in one of the meetings, you know, where they yeah. ask, do you guys have any questions or comments or anything? And here I go and I get all the dirty looks from my senior leadership, but it was, you know, you guys, you guys just want the perception of training. You don't want actual training. And yeah. that's it. Like, like you, you want it to be zero mishaps, completely safe. We don't want to push limits. We don't want to test gear. We don't want to really prep somebody for the horrors of warfare. And, and we've tried to just dumb this down. And that's what I'm going to ask you. Do you think with, with your comment you just made on the opening statement about generals or, or anybody just getting into the process of pleasing their boss, do you think that is a product of our failed evaluation system over the last 30 years that is continually to push down the road of, it, it always seems like it does not reward the person who's doing the work. Yes. is how I felt. I think the biggest problem with the military is the way we promote people. It is not performance-based. And so in the corporate world, anyone that's ever had a job knows that there's a lot of bureaucracy and you guys know owning a company, but at the end of the day, you're accountable to the bottom line. You have to make money. And if the company is failing and you're not making money, they can bring in new leadership from other companies in different places. In government institutions, you can't do that. You have to home grow them. Like look at the problems with the FBI, right? Look at the problems with the police forces. The military is the same way. And so at a bare minimum, it has to be performance-based. Otherwise, you drift much quicker and you can't cross-pollinate and bring in new leadership. So that's one of the first things I would fix uh, rather than, you know, the two things I would fix right away if I could come in is, number one, I would make it a performance-based system in terms of promotion. Number two, I would clean out some of the archaic leaders that are there and allow some of that young talent to get in the positions that they need to be now. And then I would move away from the time-based system of promotion. So if it comes down to performance, and I'm a first lieutenant and I can perform better as a captain and I can beat you, even though you've been a first lieutenant for two years and I just became a first lieutenant. But if I try out in the performance simulator and I beat you, then I should be able to get promoted faster. And right now that just doesn't happen. Now, there's extremes to that. And is there drawbacks to what I just said? Absolutely. Like there, you know, you can have a guy that can become a general, a Napoleon in, in like five years. And then obviously there's a lot he doesn't know. So there is some balance, but right now we're not even close to doing enough. Yeah. The other side, the other side of that coin, I think one of the things that I was very frustrated with as a senior NCO um, in the army was the upper out mentality. Like if you're a great platoon leader and that's your jam. Yeah. You should be able to be a platoon leader for 10 years. Yeah. If you want. Why not? If you want to be, a, or on the NCO side or the enlisted side, if you want to be a machine gunner for 10 years, have at it. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's one of the biggest drawbacks, I think, with the U.S. military versus like a lot of other militaries you see is we just, we don't 
allow people to operate in their highest level of genius enough, you know? And if for me, that was like, I was a great platoon sergeant, pretty good squad leader, decent first sergeant, but like platoon sergeant was my fucking thing. If I could have done that job for the duration, the rest of my career, I would still be in the army right now. And why wouldn't we want that? Like you, you would become a seasoned extra. And this comes back to, that was my efficiency comment that I was making is we do not, we do not operate with efficiency as our number one thing. Because if we did, like I've always said this before, look at the 1930s, 1940s military and our advancement in aerospace technology. Why? Because we let Chuck Yeager go out and fuck up a bunch of airplanes. Mm -hmm. We allowed this guy that had a sickly amount of talent. We gave him no rules and a lot of money and said, figure shit out. And we jumped and jumped and jumped ahead of Russia, mopping the fucking floor with him. Because we we promoted it back then. Yeah, but we identified talent, like actual performance talent, and then we invested in that talent. And that's a perfect example of finding someone that's the most talented and saying, invest in this so that we can make mistakes and learn from it. Yeah, and we all know this. Towards towards the end of the GWAT or whatever you want to call all those wars put together, fortune no longer favored the bold, right? It was, hey, you... you you know, look at it in, in my old unit, like you could dismantle a, a whole network, capture top 10 of your HVIs. But if one of your guys lost a set of PVS 14s, <laughs> you were a fucking pile of shit. Yeah. Right. Like, absolutely. Like, but if someone goes out and they get all their admin in on time, they don't lose anything. Nobody gets in any trouble. Everybody's been to dental, yeah. but their battle space dental. is a fucking oh. nightmare. Like no one really looked at that. But that's why we lose wars because our general officers have figured the same thing out. They can't talk back. They can't make like a public scene, but they can lose wars and they know that. And so it doesn't matter anymore because exactly what you're saying, performance of their core capability is not important. All that matters is that you do your annual training, you get everybody to the dental clinic so you don't like <laughs> raise like, a, like, like alarm bells. I'll give you a fucking real world example of this. In 2010, when I'm an instructor at the TACP schoolhouse, we had seven blocks of instruction. And at the seventh block, the, the, the trainees went out with us and they conducted a live fire AC-130 call for fire. The Air Education Training Command, which is the, the, the MAGCOM that handles all training in the Air Force, came down and said, you cannot do this. It is too dangerous. To do a call. I am a school training forward air controllers. Yeah. And I can't let them perform forward air control because it's too fucking dangerous. Yet six months out of this school, all of these kids were on the battlefield in Iraq or Afghanistan. Like it's, it's, it's to the point where you're pulling your hair out. Like, are you guys this fucking dumb? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Now I've been in the same positions as a fire support leader. I was a, a FSCC as a captain, did it a fist leader as a first lieutenant. And, the same, same problems that you described, man. There's very few times where we can practice our trade um, within the risk zones that we expect people to do in combat. Yeah, and it was, it got, for me, uh, and another thing that like pretty much made me decide I was going to retire was as I progressed, I found myself having less and less and less authority. Like when I was a first sergeant at the end, I, I, I mean, I was kind of a squeaky wheel and, you know, I was like, I had more autonomy as a fire team leader yeah. than I do now. I know. Like I have people checking in on me about what t- 
time I'm letting individuals <laughs> off fucking work. And I'm like, you want me to run a fucking organization, but I have less authority now as a first sergeant in this many years deep in the war than I did as a fucking fire team leader in the late nineties. Like it, it's insane. And I think, I think a lot of it w- was due, at least in my, in my experience, a lot of it was due to we had a lot of leaders, especially right around the time of the withdrawal. We had a lot of leaders at very senior levels who were never actually real combat leaders, right? You had guys who had become generals who had never, yeah. like by the time the war really rolled in, they were like battalion or regimental S3s, S4s. They're people who never made combat decisions. But now they're at those fucking high levels where they can sit back and be like, oh my God, this makes me fucking uncomfortable because they never saw an E4 leading assault. You know, they never saw an E5 in charge of like, you know, huge swaths of responsibility. So it made them super uncomfortable. And in the end, all they did was make up a bunch of, you know, bureaucracies and checklists and bullshit that they can then assign to some metric of success. And at the end of the day, you can't be like, hey, the fucking enemy is like beaten out here. You're like, People can roll out and operate without getting blown up every day. They don't give a fuck about that. They just give a fuck about, like you said, well, you've got like nine guys that haven't been to the dentist this month. Yeah. Well, so let me, I've got a question for you too, officer enlisted stuff. So everything I wrote about is about general officers because ultimately they're the commanders. They make the decisions. And my position is that most Americans that join the military do it for idealistic reasons. So junior enlisted come in for the right reasons, company grade officers, but There's systemic issues with everything we've been talking about, a lack of a performance-based system, and they become people-pleasing. What's not discussed a lot is senior enlisted. And so I have found that at least in the Marine Corps, the senior enlisted who should be there to advocate for the junior enlisted oftentimes parrots whatever the officer says and isn't really fulfilling their responsibility as a leader. We call them senior enlisted leaders. And so I'm interested in your guys' perspective on this. Absolutely. There were, I can count on one hand the amount of command sergeant majors that I worked with in my career that were doing what they fucking should be. The rest of them, and it, it, it was again one of those things like, where I was like, I'm ready to hang it up. I don't want to be a CSM. Because for me, once you make that battalion CSM, you're a senior enlisted advisor for a battalion. You're an E9. You can't fucking get promoted anymore. Why? Are you trying to please people? And I don't know what it is. I think, and, and there's, you know, broken watches right twice a day, right? So like there are exceptions to these rules. There are some CSMs out there who have gone to very high levels who are awesome. They're warriors. And for whatever reason, they were able to get promoted while still kind of keeping it real. But for the most part, I think the senior enlisted E9 level guys who are like, I want to pursue a career past the battalion and then regimental level. Those are the people who are, I hate to say it, they're scared to get out. They know that once they're out, they don't really bring anything to the table and they just go in and out of their career every day for a pat on the head from their officer counterpart. And it's a disservice. It makes me fucking sick. And those, those senior NCOs that could have such a large impact on the force, like with like, it reminds me of that scene in Braveheart when like, William Wallace is talking to the the real king of Scotland and he's like, if you would just lead them. You know? Yeah. And like, it's true. It takes such a small effort out of people at that level to make huge impacts. 
but instead they just want to, you know, go to meetings and, and, you know, they don't want to say no either. Like, yeah. uh, 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 the specific thing, like I remember like 2004 or whatever, we, we would jump with our boots unbloused because who cares at this point? And then all of a sudden the ch our chief came down and is like, well, the ACC command chief said, you guys can't do that. Like, why didn't you tell him no? Look him right in the face and go, you don't fucking jump out of a plane. So you don't get to come over here and tell us how to do it. So no, go away. Like, yeah. instead, it's just a, well, we pass it down. And then, and then they're so weak-spined that they come up with some horseshit answer. Well, it's a chem warfare thing. They don't want you to... I'm dead serious. Yeah. It came out of their fucking mouth. Well, so the Marine, the Marine Corps actually is the worst, and I'll explain why. In the Marine Corps, you diverge at E8. So when you go from E7 to E8, you pick first sergeant or... Master sergeant. Master sergeant. And the, what that creates in like most units is you get a first sergeant that doesn't even know the trade craft of whatever that unit is doing. Yeah. So you, so now he literally has to parrot whatever the senior officer is saying because he doesn't know how to do whatever the thing is. It's the, the most ludicrous system and it just enables this parrot type mentality and takes away from the credibility of the leader that we need for that senior enlisted. I, I wish they would replicate the Army's model. I always have to like, whenever I meet a Marine that doesn't know a lot about the Army and I say I was a first sergeant, I'm like, but it's not like yours. Yeah, that's right, that's <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> well, we can take this back a step too because I honestly think that our time now and even our time through the last 20 years, we refuse to call a spade a spade. We have unreal expectations for warfighters. We are fucking murderers. We are professional murderers. We are conditioned and trained to fucking numb our minds so you can get shot in the face next to me and it does not stop me from fucking moving forward. Mm -hmm. Okay, when are we going to acknowledge that? That we're not going to come home and put on a fucking suit and tie and act fucking normal. Yeah. We're not going to act normal. Yeah. So either give us a fucking box that we that we can that we can behave and live, eat and breathe in, and 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 let us be the professional murderers that we need to be. But yeah. instead, the military now dances on this. Oh no, that's. I mean, I heard uh, like two weeks ago. I saw in the Air Force uh, page that a group that I'm in, and, and there is like they have DX the whole or. or uh, abolished using the terms kill and break. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, I told, I'm passionate about this. So I put in my book <laughs> that they need to abolish the just war theory. So if you are a field grade officer, they know what I'm talking about in, in our military academies, we are teaching senior officers that Americans have to always maintain the ethical high ground. And it's just like when you were a kid in school back in when we were all kids, it was like violence is never the answer. Like, no, well, that's not true, right? Yeah. Figured that out. Teachers were wrong. Now in military universities, it's like, well, you can use violence, but you got to maintain the ethical high ground. It's like, does history show that the most ethical force wins or the most lethal force wins? Exactly. Like we're confusing ourselves. And so I wrote in the book, I, I say you need to abolish the just war theory and you need to change it with just win war theory. It's realism, right? And one of my fans, a, a person that read the book that I had my number texted me and said, hey, you know, I, I'm really worried about what you wrote in there about getting rid of the just war theory. And she's like, I'm sorry, she was a she. And she's she like, you know, I, I think that there are times where we need to uh, adhere to our ethical standards. 
And so then I put the question back on her and I was like, so you're saying there's an ethical way to slaughter people and there's an unethical way to slaughter people. And then that made her very nervous because she didn't want to say there was an ethical. So it was like, people were just like, you need to be ethical, but they don't want to actually say you have to go out and like you said, kill people. You know who doesn't have fucking this, this whole theory is people in Poland that were fucking under the third Reich. Like, like yeah. this is the problem. America has become fucking spoiled because we've never been occupied and no one over here has seen the fucking uglies out there. And there's, there's also, I, I don't remember who I was talking. I was talking about this subject to someone the other day and I'm like, what is more ethical, right? To come in and just get after it and yeah. like win or to drag shit along yep. for 20 fucking years trying to like do it with kid gloves. That's right. Like, and, and, Ethics are a two-way street, right? Like we're also being unethical, not only to our own force, but to our taxpayers in that we're trying to win wars in this like, you know, half in, half out way. Um, Going back to the professionalism thing, like one of the times I, you know, when I knew it was time to hang it up, I keep coming back to that. It's kind of of subject. Like I had an E9, like tell me that like tattoos weren't professional. I'm like, and I like thought about the movie 300. I'm like, Dude, what's our profession? Yeah. You know, if I was going out and selling Bibles, yeah, that wouldn't be professional. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm I a fucking, fucking murderer. kill people. You know, like I am a murder athlete. And, like, and, and and that's that's it. I don't understand why the American public doesn't want an entire brigade of bearded fucking bikers they with tattoos and chains that fucking police the fucking whores of the world. Like, yeah, so <laughs> the American people do. To be fair, I mean, look like, at like look at the romant- the lionization of like. Your, the yeah. soft community yes. and the bearded, like the knuckle draggers, like people, that's what they want. That's what means security. Want. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so the, the examples I give, I know we all have different experiences for me and Ramadi, all the males dressed as females because they knew we weren't as Marines allowed to talk to female Muslim women because it might offend the people we were occupying. Right. There's an example of like the enemy very quickly figures out, okay, they can't talk to women. We'll just dress like women. They would shoot at us from mosque every day. Yeah. And it was, and we had to get on the radio and go through five layers of bureaucracy to get approval to enter the mosque. And by that time they were gone. I mean, these enemies that we're fighting very quickly figure out where our limitations are because we have to have the ethical high ground. And it's exactly to your point, what's more ethical, just releasing the violence and accomplishing what you want or sitting there and saying, don't go in the mosque. That might offend the people we just occupied. And it's like, yeah. God. Well, no, yeah. it's because it's all, it's, it, we're kidding ourselves. Yeah. Like, and, and we allow it. We allow the people to fucking make these rules. We allow the fucking politicians to make these decisions. Like, yeah. that's where we have to fucking take I mean, it back. If, you, if you really peel it back and like, I, I think about this a lot. I was, like I said, this time last year, I was thinking, I was just like racking my brain about it. And I'm like, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but it's a lot more expensive to sit somewhere for 20 years than it is to get the job done in 18 months. Yeah. You know, so like, where is, where is this hang up? Who is the person or, or entity that is making it so we can't truly do our jobs? And what do they seek to gain? Because I guarantee it's not morality, air quotes. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's <laughs> money. You know, it's like, oh, well, if, if, I have, if I have my buddy's, you know, construction company that I can, you know, contract to build fobs for the next 10 years. Well, he's not going to make any money if we just go in there and whoop their ass and guys are shitting in holes for 18 months. Diane Feinstein sat on the Armed Forces Committee and her husband was a major owner in a number of 
Defense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, General Mattis went from General Dynamics to Secretary of Defense back to General Dynamics. Most people don't realize Dunford is sitting on Lockheed Martin right now. Secretary Austin went from Raytheon to Secretary of Defense. I mean, it's insider trading done legally. I mean, they, <laughs> they, they put these guys on the boards to be puppets to garner influence with the active general officer community, and we allow it to happen. And then what happens is exactly what you're talking about. It incentivizes drawing out the conflict because it's profitable. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I wrote an article about this last year. Um, it was a little spicy, so no one wanted to publish it. But, uh, <laughs> you should have made a social media video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but that very thing, I was like, okay, we can look back at 20 years of Afghanistan and we can probably call it one of our biggest, if not the biggest military blunder in our history, right? How is it that people that were leaders that had the, the authority to fix that blunder are now being hired onto the boards of directors and CEOs and, and into yeah. politics failure. And they're a total fucking failure. That's exactly right. Where else in the universe does that happen? <laughs> it, it, it'd be like, yeah, I, I, I coached, you know, minor league baseball for 20 years. My team never won a game, but now I'm going to be, you know, the, the GM of the Yankees. That's right. Like what? doesn't make any sense. It's because it's about name brand recognition. That's all it is, right? And so because people like General Mattis have branded himself as this, you know, great thinker, I mean, exactly right. Look at the scorecard, dude. You didn't win anything. Yeah. And, and then you're able to parlay that into other opportunities. It's frustrating. Yeah, it's for pretty sure. wild. And, 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 well, and then meanwhile, we give, we give someone that's fucking dead center of all of this a fucking free pass. Saudi Arabia. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see what the flights in and out of Kabul from Saudi Arabia look like every day. <laughs> so it's just like, but yeah. And then another thing, well, a thing that exists within our, you know, community is we also will eat our own, you know, like 100%. When, when an enlisted guy writes a book or an enlisted guy has a podcast or whatever, we want to crucify him for like, oh, letting out the secrets or using your service to fucking blah, blah, blah. But then, General, whoever the fuck can go out and make hundreds of thousands of dollars of speaking engagements, showing people how to do leadership, which with, haven't been a leader since they were early 10 with pictures of him in his uniform. <laughs> but imagine a staff sergeant marketing a cup of coffee in his uniform, like lob his head off. Right. Yeah. But you can just go in the bookstore and see all the generals in their full uniforms. I'm like, how does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's total double standards. And it's, it's, it just shows that like, the game is rigged from the beginning with, with those types of pedigree dudes that are like, oh, that guy, you know, he's set up to be a general or whatever. <laughs> well, this, this is a big, a, a big achievement here. Like yeah, a book thanks. is no easy thing. It's not. I, I have not done it. <laughs> so I'm impressed. Like, and yeah. So I think I'm trying to remember the last time I was here. I don't, had I wrote it yet? No. Yeah. So what I did when I got out of the military, I got out on Christmas Eve and then I spent like two and a half months just going on shows. And so I think I, last time I was here, it was, it was, that was in that window yeah. because I had been on a gag order for so long. I wanted to go out and tell my side of the story. And then once I, that kind of dried up, I went back to my condo and, you know, the secret to writing a book is solitude and discipline. And in six weeks, I just, you know, eight to eight every single day. I wrote from eight to five and then I you know, drank six beers and reviewed it and then rinse and repeat the next day. <laughs> so and you did the opposite of the Hemingway? You 
wrote sober and then edited drunk? That's right. Oh, wow. that is, that's exactly right. In fact, somebody, somebody sent me his style and I was like, yeah, I'm going to replicate it a little bit, but no, I, I was opposite. And uh, yeah, it, you know, I've written a master's paper. It was like 60 pages and that took me like six months because it was so dense and you're researching. This is just a little bit of a different style, right? It was my perspective, my story, and it just kind of flowed. And so the first half of the book is about my career when I came in in January of five and all the deployments, Iraq, Afghanistan. You know, when you're young and you evaluate all these things and you're, and you're looking at it like I'm a young lieutenant in Ramadi and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. But you assume that other people that have a higher rank and, yeah, and more experiences, they know something you don't, right? right? So I'm just like, that doesn't make sense at all, but I just must not be experienced enough. And so as time went on, like that more and more. And so by the time I got to 17 years, and that's the first half of the book, like I realized, no, I understand exactly what's happening. And this thing is just broken. It just doesn't work. And that's where I kind of got to that moment. And so then the book transitions into once I posted that first video, everything that happened. And it really, really reinforces the macro trends that I describe in the first half of the book. So it, book's doing well. I, and a lot of people, I think, resonate with it. Like our generation really hasn't had an honest book for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, when you get to my rank and experience, typically you retire. Therefore, the book has to be DOD reviewed. Because the DOD moved so quickly to sever their ties with me, they didn't have to, they didn't have the ability to review it is number one. And number two, it's just, I feel like a lot of the military books out there are like a, like a hero's story, yeah. but it's not like a real critical critique of how we could make it better. Not reality. That's right. And so I feel like this is one of the first books where it's just an honest critique of, you know, most days we're not killing people and we're sitting in here getting abused by bosses to make PowerPoints and get people to dental. And I, you know, I go through all the, 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 the different things that are wrong. We talked about the promotion system already. I had to address the, the, the social equal opportunity versus equality things. Cause if you've served in the military for the last two decades, there's just no way you can avoid that conversation. And so from my perspective, I give some examples of when I was a major at the basic school and there was congressional panels called Dakowitz that was for women in the service. And, you know, there was some preferential treatment to, to different uh, groups of people. And I just factually lay out like what happened, you know, I don't have to give really much of an opinion. I can just say, this is exactly what happened in that time period of that, that uh, tour. And so hopefully people see it and it starts a conversation and we can have some change, but you know, we didn't get into this mess overnight. We're not going to get out of it overnight either. So I think it's going to take a lot of people to have an honest assessment and then some leaders willing to take some risk and make some real changes. Yeah, I do. I agree. But, and, but, and yes, um, <laughs> I see in, in, I have, I have buddies who are still in serving like people that were like, you know, serving a few years behind me or, or even a few peers. And like, my dad was also a Vietnam vet and then like served after Vietnam. And I think that we're in for a pretty rocky, rough, dark time, um, for a multitude of reasons. But you look at that, that generation of, of soldier, I'm just talking about the army here. I don't know how the Marines were, but I'm imagining it was pretty much the same of, a lot of, a lot of, you know, social experimenting, in addition to a lack of a clearly defined mission, mm -hmm. right? You came out of, you know, you're in the late seventies, kind of early eighties. Like that was a real rough time for the, for the military in general, like huge discipline issues, recruiting and retain and retention issues. And I think that it's going to be even worse now. 
because of kind of like how society is, right? And like, it's already, I mean, they're already feeling it. This oh, is the yeah. worst. This is the worst numbers they've yeah. seen. I mean, they can't even get. Well, the difference is after Vietnam, it went to the all volunteer force for the first time, and now post all GWAT wars, it's looking like the, the all volunteer force might come to an end. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, like it's well, in th- 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 people that are strong enough. Like we, I was at the school out here not too long ago on the Air Force base, and they're saying they're dealing with with first few week injuries due to just lack of bone density. Like they, these, these young kids are showing up with 40% less bone density because they haven't been outside. They didn't play sports. They're not eating right. Like they're... <laughs> yeah, like uh, all that stuff's going to catch up to us. Yeah. You know, like pretty much everybody that I went to basic training with, it wasn't the hardest thing they'd ever done in their life. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. now it's like, whoa. Um, I think most of the recruiters that I've spoke to, so actually I went on Laura Ingram and talked about some of the recruitment problems. And what I didn't bring up on Laura Ingram is what all the recruiters told me is the new medical tracking system. I think it's called Genesis. So any kid that gets prescribed ADHD medicine, any type of medicine now, the government has centralized this information. And what happens is when you go to enlist, you sign a waiver that allows the government to access all that information and all of these people are becoming disqualified based on all the new medication that gets prescribed today. And so that's not really in the news right now, but that is a huge disqualifier as well. And so obviously if they can't make recruit number, recruitment numbers, you would think that somebody would open their eyes and say like, hey, 20% of the population is getting <laughs> prescribed this right now. Maybe we shouldn't make it a disqualifier. Like half, of the, half of the R staff when I was on it were on fucking Adderall because we had to be up for 20 hours a day making fucking PowerPoints. Yeah. So, for me, it was just coffee and dip, but same, same, same. Our leaders, our senior tacticians, not even see that this, like, we fired fucking 60,000 of our own people. Oh, like, yeah. How do they not go, would the enemy want this? Don't even get me started would on that. Would the enemy want us to start just shelling out all of our experienced warriors? Like, <laughs> like, And what are we missing in the military right now? Moral courage. I don't care what your opinion is. Someone that like makes an independent decision and like pushes back, that's morally courageous. Right. And those are the people we're purging out. It's like, what are we doing? You're, you're, le- you're purging out the leaders. That's right. <laughs> yeah, That's it's, right. I, it's, it's, it's sad to look back on, on history and like, look at the parallels, you know, and like once, once a government or, a, or a kind of a, an ideology starts to use their military as like an arm to enforce their will instead of the national interests of, of the thing. That's when, you know, the wheels start to fall off, like the Roman Empire, you name it, and <clears throat> it's happening, and you, you're starting to see it now. And I, like I said, I, I don't want to say the sky is falling. I think we're going to end up being okay, but it's going to be kind of a rough, a rough patch for the next. So as I look at history, you brought up the Roman Empire. I mean, in times of great turmoil like that, if you look at all like ancient civilizations, some person has rose out of that and led people to a new path. So in, in the Roman terms, it was Caesar, right? And so, I mean, the system that we have right now is in great turmoil. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we can get it together. Yeah, but we're also, the, the interesting thing too, though, is we're in this age in just basic, so like human civilization, where by 2050, we're cresting an unsustainable population. Okay, so 
we know that the, the overarching powers that be are thinking about that and they're they're trying to find ways to fucking... Yeah, the farmland that they're buying up. Well, yeah. just, yeah. Uh, how are they going to... How do we solve a problem? You know, they, they say by 2050, we're going to be at over nine and a half billion. Like, how do you stop that? I don't, so I read, articles, I read articles about that. And it, so in America, there was a big scare that was going to do that. But it seems like, at least studying European countries, it flattens out. Yeah. So the overpopulation thing seems to over time self-correct. But, you know, what's we'll his, see. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Elon Musk. Didn't he just say that we're having an under... Yeah. Earthing problem. Yeah, for America. 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 Yeah. yeah, I gotcha. China's a little bit different story. Yeah. Yeah. They had that yeah, whole... They, they're a couple bees. You do know. they still have that rule where you can only have one... Sure. No, I think they did away with it. Did away with it? I can't remember. Uh, I don't know anything about China. Yeah. I like... It's big. Express. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Orange chicken. Mm. Yeah, so, so what... We're in for some rocky road. How does it fix... Leadership. He says somebody... Rises. Leadership. I want to see... I hope it's Ron DeSantis. I don't know. I think it's someone we don't even see right now. Yeah, I don't think we're there yet. I think... I just hope the Catholic Church comes out and says Ron is Jesus and then that's it. Like... I think that... <laughs> so I'll take some. I yeah. right now, like, you, there, is, there are going to be some rough times, but like right now, most of our actual true struggle is in our head. Yes. You know? Like, you know, being... This sounds bad, but take it as to take it for the spirit of what I'm saying. The letter of what I'm, <laughs> I'm saying. excited yeah. now, <laughs> but like being being a poor person in the United States is not that bad, yeah. right? I like agree. you're if you're you know below the poverty line in the United States, you're living better than most of the fucking world. So until that starts to creep way higher up in the in the pecking order of our country, people's problems really are done once they put their phone down and don't read shit. Right. Their, yeah. their, their problems aren't that big. So it's going to take a lot more of that, like real true problems, the problems that we see, you know, with people that are below the poverty line right now, like tr struggling to feed your kids, struggling to pay your bills, struggling to keep a roof over your head until those things creep up to a lot more of the well, general population. We're I mean, not going to see a lot of change. The thing is, though, is like uh, I, I saw a big push earlier this week on social media about um, physicians and prescribing medication without talking about diet, exercise, physical activity, things like that. It's like you've got doctors that are just drug salesmen now, yeah. especially yeah. in the United States. So like we have this problem yeah. where we're, we are breeding weak, just messed up on, on meds people. No poppers, yeah. Yeah. That, that like, okay, like we're turning into Wally. Dude, and then they can't join the military because there's a system that tracks that. So like, maybe this was their fucking plan all along. I read a thing and I don't know the actual numbers. So, so if, if you need to know the real ones, Google it. But like we prescribe so many meds now yeah. that our tap water has like traces of SSRIs in it. Like if you drink your tap water unfiltered, like you're taking antidepressants. Oh God. Like, depending on where you are and the time of the day you drink the water, it can be, like, really, really, really bad for you. I'm like, holy fuck. That's how many pills we're putting out there that it's affecting our water? Jesus. <laughs> that was a pretty good Walter statement. <laughs> <laughs> they're, in the tap, they're in the tap water. <laughs> it, it's true, though. It's, like, not a conspiracy. It's, like, a real thing. So, like, you know, I was, I was talking to a dude that's... Uh, 
Mike Blevins from uh, yeah from Utah, and he's talking about was, this guy that I'm talking about. He's been on the podcast before, but he's like a, just knows everything about health and like everything about diet. And I asked him about drinking, you know, like spicy waters, like carbonated water. And he's like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but you know, it could almost be better for you than drinking like tap water. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And like, so like all the filtration and stuff that those products have to go through can at the end of the day almost be healthier than drinking just the water out of the tap unless you have like a really nice filtration system for mm. your water. Scary shit. Like you think, you know, you're, we're at this yeah, time not now. water anymore. Yeah, yeah, good call. Go back to boiling water out of your tap now. Yeah, like like, you, like you're in the woods. What's the, what temperature do you need to have water at to, <laughs> to get, get SSRIs. SSRIs out of it? Somebody needs to Google that. I want to know the answer to that. <laughs> oh, we've done, we've done a couple laps on this one. Jeez. We're now down to the conspiracy theory of, of drug tap water. I was listening to the Black Rifle Coffee podcast, and they said don't drink water. <laughs> I mean, that would be a good marketing. COVID, co- the COVID thing put us back like 30 years. Yeah. Like just in everything from manufacturing to labor, like people don't, people don't want to do things for money anymore. Like in every industry. Why are there still people wearing masks? You guys figured that out? I don't know. I love it though. Like they, they've, we've literally proven that it doesn't do anything, right? I, I fucking love it though. Cause I'm like, dude, I was never, I was never really staunchly for or against any of the measures during COVID. I, I kind of kept it pretty chill during out, during it. But now when you see someone. Yeah. Like, by themselves walking across the parking lot with a mask on. I'm like, holy fuck, you're dumb. (laughs) You are so fucking dumb. What what is it that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the beginning or or during when when people were listening to the authorities. Yeah. I get it. The authorities said, don't go buy masks though. Yeah, remember? (laughs) <laughs> but you guys need to stop buying these masks. They don't do nothing. Like, and you're. Yeah, no, I think they changed. They changed their mind, though. Right? Oh, okay. They had originally said that, yeah, and then they were like, "Well, companies, they, yeah. they, they, they got was, eighty billion masks shipped over to the U.S. Hey, we're investors in that now. Yeah, go get masks. Go get yeah. masks." Dude, I was living in L.A. during the majority of the pandemic, and it was it was such a fun social experiment to just go out every day and see people like listen to what like the CDC would put out. And then go out and see what people were actually doing. And it was like, oh, you don't actually give a fuck about what they say. You want to do the thing that's going to virtue signal you into the yeah, place. It's the easiest. Yeah. Where which you well, can still be friends with your well little said. eco chamber. Well said. It's the, it's, the, it's, it's the NCO that only comments on haircuts and fucking uniform items. It's the easiest thing to make. It, oh, that guy's really, that guy's really a good leader. Yeah. He's a real go-getter. You see him? He shaved his head. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Well, where is this at? Uh, you can buy it really anywhere. Amazon, all the stores, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million. Those are two different. You're, you're on two lists because I know Barnes & Noble has their own list. Do they? Yeah. I, I don't know. Amazon's got one. It's number six. Yep. Did, it, did really well. Is it on audio yet? You know, that's a funny story. <laughs> I recorded it myself and it's supposed to come out the same day as the book and some, some, some didn't happen. So it comes out this week. Coming up. Yeah, okay, it's like cool. the 26th. That's really good. So it'll be out. So it'll be my voice. So you can get it on Audible. Yeah, um, I'll just, get it on Audible. I can't read. Yeah. <laughs> I bring the passion and the uh, the audio. It was cool. Yeah, Three days of just talking in a in a little phone booth type microphone studio. And and you're heading out kind of on tour with this thing now too. Yeah. We're doing a yeah, appreciate thing tomorrow. You're heading to San Diego after that. The turnouts have been incredible. So I started in Ohio because I'm moving back to Ohio. And I had a couple hundred people show up 
during opening day of Bengals. So I didn't think we'd have anyone. Still had a couple hundred people. Had a couple of Marines that were injured in the, the Abbey Gate incident showed up. And then I went wow. down to Jacksonville, North Carolina and had a book signing. I mean, it was insane. I mean, we, I mean, hundreds of people. There was people, we were doing a one to five. The store closed at nine. I stayed in, the store stayed open an extra hour till 10. They had to cut the line off at three. So there were people that waited in line from three to 10 PM. God. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. You're like the Beatles. I was like, I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And so like, you know, I had, I was really, and I was so appreciative that I took the time to talk to everyone, you know. Yeah, everybody comes up with a, you, you get it. Yeah. Like, and because the, everyone was left fucking flat on their feet. That's right. You have every person that took part in this war. I mean, I was fighting the Jay Shalmati militia in 2007 and fucking Mukhtar al-Sadr was running fucking Iraq as of up to last week. Like, what? <laughs> Yeah. The fuck you guys? You guys fucked this up that, so bad. You're exactly right. I had the same reaction. We were talking about Al Sadr like every day when I was in Iraq, and I was like, "We're still doing this." Hundred uh, percent. But yeah. So back to the book. So I'm. I got. Uh, I'm here in San Antonio, Texas, obviously, and then I'm going to go out to Cali. Then I've got uh, Florida for a couple of weeks. Then I'm in DC. Then I'm in Vegas. You doing Pendleton? Yeah. Oh, that's going to be big. Yeah. That's so that'll be, be good. Great. Pendleton's a little bit different. It's a little bit more spread out. So I've got a couple locations for people to get to. Lejeune's like all on top of each other. But yeah, it'll be a good time. Uh, any plans for like going on any talk shows or anything like that? Have you got any so I've been on like I've been on most of the shows. I've been on Tucker. I've been on Laura Ingram. I've been on uh, Fox and Friends. Uh, I did Mike Huckabee in studio and did Mike Huckabee just uh, the other week. And so I think most of the network shows probably are, are going to dry up. You know, you can only do so many of them. You don't think you'll get on like Jimmy Fallon or anything? No, I don't. I mean, I'm not saying I won't ever be on there, but I mean, for this yeah. for this book release, probably not. I mean, he obviously listens to the podcast. I mean, yeah. if, if you just looped the last page and this is how this pertains to climate change, yeah, then you would right. Do yeah. And you know, it's funny, uh, General McKenzie, who I direct a lot of my wrath at in that book, he goes on a lot of liberal media shows. So I've seen him on Morning Joe and I've seen him on MSNBC but he doesn't come on any of the Fox shows and they never, all those liberal media shows who I've, you know, I've given pitches to come on. They won't bring me on, but they won't ask him tough questions. No. And so all they got to do is read my book and pull out a legitimate question to ask him. Like, why did it take you till the third week of June to decide you were going to abandon Bagram air base? And why? It's just, it's just basic questions. Like, do you still think it was an overwhelming success? Do you still think the Taliban were critical partners? I mean, you just go down the list and all the interviews, not one of those journalist has asked an actual tough question and not one of those journalists will bring me on these liberal shows and, and just interview me. And so I think the book gives a good perspective. And I think just the turnout of these book signings and the sales of my book have shown that a lot of people are hungry for truth. This yeah. is real quick. You'll go. To, he mentioned journalists is my chance to say, fuck Don Lemon. Uh, yeah, go back. <laughs> but I mean, it's funny, you know, we were talking about how I was just racking my brain about this. I don't know if you knew, but like after I got back from HKI last year, I was, you know, one of the only journalists on the ground there. And then when I came back, I did a couple interviews and then I got signed by ABC to do six weeks of work based, you know, special consultant to the Afghan withdrawal, blah, blah, blah. So they hired me, put me up, paid me. I did about seven minutes of work for them because I went on a few times, did a few interviews, a few hits, and then just stopped getting calls. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you too, I kept it very vanilla, information, vanilla, very information, but like you could read between the fucking lines and it just wasn't this. I wasn't saying the things that they wanted me to say. Yep. And 
the the mainstream I, I don't even I don't even block it off into like liberal or conservative media. It's all media has a party line they want you to say. And if you're not saying it, it's not like they're not reporting on the news. They're just only reporting on the parts of it they want to. Well, and they're only talking about the things they want to. This goes back to the the theory versus reality like that we live in. Like theory, the media is there to report to us. Reality, they are a business. Yep. They are a business that reports to their shareholders. They're a business that reports to their advertisers. So we have to come to terms with that. You yeah. have to come to terms with they are a fucking business. The thing that, that really <laughs> freaks me out about the direction our country's media is going is in that globally, I think we're having some judo done on us. What's our, what's, you know, what's the first amendment? What's our biggest strength is, is, freedom, is of freedom of speech. Yeah. And if someone else can control that against us, like, holy fuck, you know, um, kind of another tangent, but. I mean, Russia and China is using, they've realized how to use it against us. Right. By flooding, you know, I was speaking to a high level analyst in the, in the Department of the Navy's uh, offensive counter uh, information war. And he was saying, like, he gave an example. He said, just when, during the time when the, the bases had banned the Confederate flag, China was flooding us with 50,000 pieces of media a day. Half were supporting the ban, half were against the ban of the Confederate flag. They were shoving these articles into everybody's faces to create the fucking war. Yeah. Like, war within. So it's like, wake up. Yeah. It's manufactured. Yeah. How does this affect your actual life? I think controlling the beliefs of the people is the most important source of influence. And so a lot of people haven't realized it. I mean, they still default to, you know, we're talking about violence used to be probably the strongest form and it was money. But like, look at politicians now. It's how much money you can raise, but really what is that money for? It's for influencing the beliefs of people. So money, advertising. So it all comes down to how can you influence beliefs and to your point, you know, censorship or agendas or ways to manipulate those beliefs are dangerous. And, you know, hopefully everybody can wake up, but it's very hard. I don't, I don't know what to believe half the time unless I go see it with my own eyes. And so, you know, it's, just, it's where we're at in the society. Yeah. What do you, uh, kind of a big flip here, but how, where, where do you go from here? You're going to promote the book, obviously. Yeah. I mean, just- oh, that's a good question. Uh, for me, I would fuck. We need we need you know dudes like you that are out there that are you know obviously have have laid their fucking dick on the chopping block and put their money where their mouth is. So where do you see? Where do <laughs> to you be see clear, that? my dick was not chopped off. Um, it's still, <laughs> you ask yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a good question. I'm I'm touring with the book all the way through the holiday season, and then January 23, I have to reassess and figure out what I want to be when I grow up. I'm back in Ohio. There's a lot of people pushing me to politics in Ohio. There's even a, a movement, draftstew.com, where people are trying to get me to run for Senate, but I haven't made a decision yet. I don't know if that's, if I want to be a politician. I just, I'm so sick of the politicians that we have now. So it's like a day at a time. Just taking the book tour. Thomas, please. If you do yeah. go into the Senate, please just start showing up at bases and wrecking house. <laughs> Oh, brother, <laughs> if I do, yeah. if I do, like that's number one on I my list. Slay oh. officers all day long. <laughs> I, I, you know, like I, I, I think the thing that would excite me the most other than, you know, the general officers being like, oh man, how did this dude do that? 
Damn it. Is going into the service academies. Yes. And talking is. to all the young officers about some of the things that we're talking about right now mm-hmm. and saying, open your eyes. Yeah. You know, these PhDs that have no military experience that are trying to shape you, like all of these mid-grade officers that are career focused are trying to shape you, like not in your best interest. Why are you here? Support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. You should defend the freedoms outside of the academies and we'll help advertise. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just start pissing them off now. <laughs> I have a whole so my last billet in the army was I taught ROTC. So I would commissioned, you know, roughly 25 to 35 new lieutenants a year, but I was pretty close proximity. To, I, I worked in New York city, pretty close proximity to West Point. If I were in charge for a day, I would shut down and disband West Point and we would just commission all of our officer corps through ROTC mm-hmm. or OCS. That is one of the biggest misallocations of government funds I've ever seen in my fucking life. Naval academies, same, thing. same, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and quite honestly, I think having worked at the basic school where through commissioning sources, so in the Marine Corps, officer candidate school or the Naval Academy, then they all get funneled to the basic school. And I worked there for three years. The difference in caliber of someone that went through OCC, I think it's just a higher caliber person. Yeah. And because they-, they Self-reliance. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, they've, they've gone through you're, and demonstrated resiliency much more than I think the Naval Academy. Now, are there many very talented people that come to the service academies? Yes. But I, I agree with you that the service academies aren't what they used to be. And it's, it's, and all the agenda items that get shoved in there now and the allocation of funds and you know, just the political appointment of directors of those things. Now, now we're in a place, I mean, Biden just demonstrated, we fire anyone that was like, put in place on these service academies by the last president. We make it very political so they can all stick their individual political views in these service academies. Like that's not what the service academy should be about. That's very true. Like I, my mind was fucking boggled at the minute amount of like war fighting curriculum that goes on at the service academies. Like it's, (laughs) it's nothing. It's fucking nothing. Like they take a military science class, just like you would take if you were an ROTC cadet in St. John's university or UCLA or whatever. And then aside from that, you just wear uh, like weird made up uniform and that's, and call people, sir. That's the only military shit that they're doing at the service academies minus the summer. It's like, why aren't you taking like, why aren't you in your third semester of like combined arms or our use of artillery? War tactician, like like tactical advantage. They, they don't learn that shit there. And it, I'm like, well, then what the fuck is it that they're doing? You know? And it's like you said, they're just getting, they're just getting melded by these dudes to you know, and then you see it like I, even being an NCO, like I saw there were the West Point people and there were the other people. And it's like, you know, you're, you can show up to certain places in certain jobs and you're a made man already because you're like, oh, I played rugby at West Point or whatever the fuck. Dumb shit. Well, I think the Army's actually worse about it with the West Point. So in the Marine Corps, no one really cares. So you went to the Naval Academy. Yeah. And so you almost keep that quiet in a little bit. There's obviously a little underground of Naval Academy guys that stick together. But the Army, you're exactly right. I've watched it serving as a Marine alongside the Army in Afghanistan. Uh, the two things that were important were West Point and a Ranger tab. Yeah. Those are like literally the first two questions that were asked as Lieutenant showed up out there. And I was like, wow, West Point seems to be important out here. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. But we would. Well, this is always a fucking pleasure, man. I love having you around. Yeah. I love being around. Yeah. You guys are awesome. No. And you know, you said it, you said it a little bit earlier. So I'll just end with this. Nobody hates on successful veterans like other veterans. And it's actually like, it blows my mind 
and, you know, hanging out with you guys, like the most real people in the world. And, and I'll, and I'll talk about you guys and people, there's always hate out there. When, and whenever I go somewhere, there's a ton of hate out there. And it's like, anytime a veteran goes and achieves success, people find a reason to try to, to cut their legs out. And we would be as a community, probably one of the greatest strengths of America. If we could celebrate people, despite if you don't agree with all of their views, if they're a veteran and have served our country and go out and achieve success, like we should be supporting those people. So I just want to end with that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Rock. Boom. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Drum titties, boy!